Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. As I mentioned, Jesse is kicking us off in chapter 1 of Philippians. So I'm going to be reading for us chapter 1 from verse 12. It'll be on the screen behind me or if you want to look up your Bibles and follow it along. This is the Apostle Paul uh, writing a letter to the church at Philippi. So we're actually reading a letter to them, but it's God's word. It's good for us as well. But he's writing from jail. So if some of the language sounds a bit funny being in chains, it's because he's, he's in chains. Uh, it's first century Roman Empire in chains in jail. Reading from verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains... Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. But will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Russ. Um, we're going to have a look at the whole, well, verses 1 to 26. So I'll pray first to start. Heavenly Father, we just pray this morning that as we open your word that you might speak to us, help us uh, to have hearts that are open and willing to hear your word, and may you show us this morning why living for you is truly worth it. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is living for Jesus really worth it? While most of my non-Christian friends aren't gaming enough to say it, I reckon they'd have a few things to say about my life choices. Whether it's not swearing or going to church on Sundays or not getting drunk at parties, I bet a lot of them think I'm seriously missing out on the good things in life. I used to play cricket on a Saturday and the team I played for had a tradition that while we were warming up before the game, the young ones would get up in front of everyone and recount the late night adventures they'd had before, on the night before. Each week, they couldn't believe that I'd sacrifice late-night clubbing for going to youth group. How could reading the Bible and spending time with Christians be better than music, alcohol, and women? 
So why do I do it? Why do you do it? Why have we decided to live differently, giving up the good things in life for what seems like a whole bunch of rules that stop us from having fun? Well, our passage today gives us three reasons why living for Jesus is worth it. And the first is that living for Jesus gives us deep connections that last forever. Now, the first two verses are a standard introduction to a Christian letter. And the most important thing we get from it is that Paul, along with Timothy, is writing a letter to the church in Philippi, a church which he'd had a close relationship with for over a decade. And as we move into verses 3 to 8, we get a glimpse of the kind of lasting connection that Paul shared with the Christians in Philippi. Let's read verses 3 to 8. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. So why is living for Jesus worth it? Well, Paul's first reason is that living for Jesus comes with deeply personal relationships that are eternal. It's these relationships that help Paul get through anything and everything that the world throws at him. It's his relationship with the Philippians that fills him with joy, even when he's in prison and at risk of being killed. So in verse 3, Paul's giving thanks to God because whenever he thinks of the Philippians, he's filled with joy. Why is Paul filled with joy whenever he thinks about the Philippians? It's because they are partners in the gospel with him. And partners in the gospel are deeply and eternally connected. Now, the gospel is the good news of Jesus that's at the heart of Christianity, and it's this good news that tells us we're united to Jesus as new creations, as people who are, in Jesus, pure and blameless before God. But it's this union with Jesus that also makes us deeply and eternally connected with each other as well. Being united to Jesus forever also means we're united to anyone else united to him. And this might be news to you. You probably knew before now that being a Christian meant we were connected to Jesus. But have you ever considered that believing in the good news of Jesus also connects us to all Christians forever? Paul says in verse 5 that the Philippians have stood by him from the very first day right through to the present. And take a look at verse 7 where he says, I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you sharing God's grace with me. Yes, there were some rough patches in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. We'll read about the hard parts later in the letter. But you can see the level of commitment that the Philippians have to stand by Paul no matter what. Because they're both united to Jesus forever and share in God's grace, both Paul and the Philippians are committed to each other no matter how hard it gets. These Christians stick by Paul even when he's thrown in prison and considered a criminal. They would have been shamed and abused and persecuted just because of their connection to Paul. We find it hard sometimes to own our faith because we fear people disagreeing with us. We can find it hard to stick by our Christian mates when the worst that could happen to us is offend someone or make someone upset. 
how would you go sticking up for another Christian if it meant losing your job? Or if it meant you'd be considered a criminal? Or if it put you at risk of going to jail or being executed? It's hard to imagine living in a time when sticking by a Christian friend meant being at risk of death. But this was the context that Paul and the Philippians were living in. But despite this reality, the Philippians choose to stick by Paul and face whatever the consequences. Why would they do that? It's because they're eternally connected to Jesus and so are eternally connected to each other. It's this reality that drives them to stand by one another no matter what. It's these kinds of friendships with people who are committed on such an insane level that makes living for Jesus worth it. But it's not just that we're eternally committed. We see in these verses that the Philippians are also deeply and personally connected to Paul. Take a look at the way Paul longs for the Philippians with the most powerful of emotions. In verse 8, the very love and affection that Christ himself has for the church. The love that Jesus has for the church is the very love that led him to the cross to be crucified, the most brutal and shameful way of dying at the time. And there's nothing like this kind of incredible sacrificial love. And yet, Paul says that he has this same affection for the Philippians. So the commitment that Paul and the Philippians have to one another is not just a dry business partnership that they have to uphold for their own self-interest, as though they're committed begrudgingly to one another as a result of not reading the fine print when they signed up to Christianity. Now, their commitment to one another is deeply personal and characterized by the very love of Jesus. Which people would you be willing to die for? Maybe you do it for a family member. Maybe a really close friend. Whoever might make that list, I bet it's not a very long list. And for most of us, it's only the people we're closest to and love deeply that are going to make the cut. And so the fact that the Philippians are willing to die for Paul, just as Paul was willing to die for them, shows that they shared the most intimate of connections. So why is living for Jesus worth it? Because it comes with built-in connections that are intimate and eternal. Yes, it takes time to cultivate these friendships. Yes, it's often messy and hard sometimes, this side of eternity. But we're all connected to each other through our connection to Jesus. And so, even if we're usually pretty bad at it, we do have an opportunity to slowly but surely experience incredibly deep and committed relationships with one another as we live the Christian life alongside other Christians. I had quite a few close friends in high school, people I'd spend almost every day with, people who I'd get along with really well, shared common interests with, all the things you could want in a friend. But it's only been a couple of years. I moved up here, only two hours away, and now I barely see any of them anymore. I catch up with maybe one or two every couple of months, but that's it. Which, to be honest, is really hard. Trying to figure out adulting and living life on my own, then dealing with COVID and then navigating being newly married. All of it was really hard to go through without my friends from high school around me. But living for Jesus means I've got, now got friends who will be with me into eternity. Friends who know me even more intimately than my high school friends because we share the same faith and the same goal. 
My deepest love is their deepest love. My greatest passion is their greatest passion. The fact that Christians are connected to each other personally and eternally means that nothing can destroy that connection. Nothing can destroy our bond. Like the Philippians and Paul, it doesn't matter whether we're in Rome or Philippi, New South Wales or Queensland, Europe or the United States. It doesn't even matter whether we're dead or alive. Nothing can separate us from one another. We've always got each other and we'll always be committed to one another in a deeply affectionate way. So, the first reason why living for Jesus is worth it is because living for him means we become deeply and eternally connected to other Christian people. But Paul gives us a second reason in verses 9 to 11. It's that living for Jesus will present us as pure and blameless on Judgment Day. Let's read from verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The second reason why living for Jesus is worth it is that it recalibrates our minds to live for what's better than what the world lives for. Stuff that's of lasting and eternal benefit, not just for the here and now. Even though the Philippians are already a church of love, Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge so that they'll be able to know what's best for them. The meaning behind the word for best here is different but superior. So by best, Paul's wanting them to approve of what's different, but also superior to what the world approves of. He wants them to learn how to measure worth in a better way than the people around them. He wants them to value different things to what the other people value. I've been re-watching episodes of The Chosen recently, um, and for those who haven't seen it, uh, it's a series on Netflix which attempts to recreate Jesus' life with his disciples. It's really well done and I'd recommend to watch, as it follows the gospel accounts and the cultural context pretty closely. But what the show does do really well is show how Jesus values different things to the people around him. Even the disciples and the Pharisees get it wrong over and over again when they judge people based on their position in society, or their ethnicity, or their wealth, or put-togetherness. You see people valuing money, or lifestyle, or social status over the things which Jesus values, like the outcast, or the sinner, or the vulnerable, or the desperate. But I catch myself doing this as well. All the time I find myself comparing people based on what they do, or the upbringing they've had, or the place they live, or the way they dress, or act, or look. And then I find myself changing my lifestyle and the things that I do so that I look good, just like the people that are respected in our culture, not the people who are rejected. But the voice of our culture is so loud, and it's so easy to live for the things the world's living for. More money, nice house, career success, approval of others, even a healthy lifestyle, but the reality is that none of these things are what's truly best for us. What the Christian life holds out to us is far better because it actually lasts beyond this life. Paul doesn't want us to value things that only make us happy for a little while, but to value things that will present us as pure and blameless on the day of Christ, things that will ultimately glorify God, 
Things like humility and selflessness, joy and unity, obedience and endurance. We've got to start learning what's of eternal worth so we can value the things that actually matter on that day and for the rest of eternity. Paul wants us all to stand before Jesus on that final day, pure and blameless, having lived a life open to the transforming work of the Spirit and filled with the fruits of righteousness that reflect Jesus in the life he lived. The choice isn't between a life that's fun and a life that's not fun, but between living a life for what's valuable temporarily and living a life for what's valuable permanently and eternally. There's nothing better for us than to live for the things that are eternal. The stuff the world offers us might be fun for a time, but it won't last and won't make us pure and blameless, filled with the fruits of righteousness. What's best for us long-term is to live a life of humility, where we proclaim Jesus everywhere we go. It's living for Jesus and like Jesus that enables us to live for what's different but superior, to live for what's best in the long run. So Paul's encouraging us to value different things to what the world values because they're of eternal worth. But is living for Jesus what's best for us now as well? Our last reason why living for Jesus is worth it is because it gives us certainty in life and in death. Verses 12 to 18 start with Paul giving us a profound statement that shows us how living for Jesus has given him certainty in life. See how he says that his present situation, i.e. being in prison, has actually served to advance the gospel, which leads him to rejoice. How can being in prison be considered a good thing? How does Paul, perhaps the greatest missionary in all of history, being in prison, actually advance the gospel? Well, Paul says that his situation is advancing the gospel because Jesus is being preached to the people around him in prison and because Jesus is being preached by others more fearlessly because of his example. Bad stuff will happen. Life's bound to get tough. And it hasn't, if it hasn't for you yet, people used to tell me this all the time, there's something just waiting for you around the corner. This is the reality of the world we live in. Life is hard. The world is broken. And people like us sin all the time. But living for Jesus is worth it because joy and progress can be found even in the darkest of moments, especially in the darkest of moments. Paul's predicament is a perfect example of this. Because he's living for Jesus, it doesn't matter to him what kinds of hardship and suffering he has to go through doesn't matter that he's in prison. doesn't matter that people are out there rubbishing his name, as we see in verses 15 to 17. Because it's all being used for God's glory. All that matters is what he says in verse 18, that Christ is preached. And it's because of this that he rejoices. He doesn't care about what people think of him or are saying about him. He doesn't care that his circumstances are far from comfortable. Instead, all he cares about is that the good news of Jesus is being proclaimed. Paul clearly values different things to the world. But why? Because he's living his life for Jesus. And so the progression of the gospel is the most important thing of all. This means that Paul can rejoice regardless of his circumstance, regardless of what people are saying about him. Because he values the advancement of the gospel, something of eternal worth, 
Paul can be truly joyful because the gospel is always advancing. God is always working in the hearts and lives of people to bring them into the family. By living for Jesus, Paul can be eternally joyful because he values things that are certain for all of eternity. Yes, he's got to give up a whole lot of comforts in life, but he's in prison and he's rejoicing. I know people who do anything for that kind of joy. These days we lose our joy from getting a red light or getting stuck in traffic. Paul's joyful in prison. There's nothing that's going to stop this man rejoicing. Surely a man who's able to rejoice in a prison is a man living a life worth living. Surely whatever Paul's living for is what's really best for us. Too often I think we buy into the lie that nothing good can come out of challenging situations. I think this is partly why Christianity is so unappealing to our culture today. We always want the good stuff without the toil. We want the pleasure without the hard work. We want the comforts without the suffering. We want the fun without the weight. But that's not the way Christians have been living for centuries. And it's certainly not how normal life works either. We have to work out to get fit. We have to work to get money. We have to go through all the challenges of getting to know someone before we can be close with them. We have to make mistakes before we can get good at something. As we'll see next week, even Christ had to go through the very worst to receive the very best. He had to die so that he could rise and be exalted. Why would we as his followers expect any different? Even if living for Jesus requires us giving up things that the world values, it's better for us in the long run. It might require some pain in the present, but it will end in eternal gain. Yes, life might be hard right now, but that's true for everyone, whether you're living for Jesus or not. But living for him means we can go about life with joy because the things we live for are certain and will benefit us in the long run. Which is why it's worth living for Jesus, because we can have certainty in life and death. Paul touched on this certainty in life and death earlier in verse 6, where he said that God will finish what he started. He made the point that anyone who becomes a genuine Christian will always be a Christian. And he expands on this point here in our last verses for today, in verses 18 to 26. It's here we see that no matter what happens to Paul, he'll keep on rejoicing because he knows he can't lose in life or death. Paul's confidence again comes from being in Jesus. Verses 19 and 20, he hopes and even expects that everything will turn out for his deliverance. Nothing can truly shame him. Nothing can stop him from exalting Jesus. Nothing can take his salvation away. And then we get one of Paul's most famous lines. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. This whole section is showing us that Christians are in a win-win situation. If we live, we're in Christ and have heaps of opportunities to do stuff that matters to God and to his people. Stuff that doesn't just matter now, but stuff that has worth into eternity. But if we die, we get something even better. To be with Jesus. There's nothing better than being in the presence of our God and Savior. Nothing more incredible for humanity than to be in the presence of our glorious, powerful, loving creator. 
What's best for us isn't money or nice things or a flashy lifestyle, career success. We're made to be in a relationship with God. We're made to be in his presence, to glorify him with our lives. And if we die, we get just that, to be with him. Now, Paul does make a choice between life and death, choosing life so that his Christian friends will continue to grow in both joy and faith and be encouraged all the more to proclaim Jesus through him. This is an encouragement for us to do the same, to press on and continue proclaiming Jesus for the sake of our Christian partners, who we're deeply and eternally connected to, so that they'll stand with us, pure and blameless on the day of Christ, and so that God, who deserves to be praised and glorified everywhere, will be glorified here and now. But the main reality still stands. We're in a win-win situation where even death can't make us lose. How awesome is it that we can have full assurance that all things will turn out for our salvation? No amount of bad luck can cause us to lose it because God is working to finish what he started. How awesome is it that no matter how many people shame us or put us down or drag our name through the mud, will never be put to shame. How awesome is it that we can live out our purpose and the very reason for our existence, proclaiming Jesus with absolute confidence and courage that nothing will take that privilege away and that nothing can hide the witness we're putting on display. How awesome is it that not even death can take our joy away, not even death itself can stop us and make us fear. Because we have a deliverer who has already won the battle and assured us of our salvation. How awesome is it to be living for Jesus? Surely it's worth it. One of the more famous stories of someone living for Jesus in our time is Jim Elliot. Jim knew that living for Jesus meant that he had certainty in life and death. And so he became a missionary and was willing to risk his life to tell people about Jesus. Jim went to a hostile tribe in the Amazon and to people who had never heard about Jesus. And he was speared the moment he set foot on their land. And yet, this isn't a story with a sad ending because Jim is now somewhere better. He's now in the very presence of the person he'd been living his whole life for. But what's even more incredible is that his wife, who must have been heartbroken when it happened went back to the same people to tell them about Jesus, only two years after they'd murdered her husband. And through her, many in the tribe became Christians and realized that living for Jesus was worth it. This couple's story is an incredible one that's encouraged so many people around the world, but they weren't the first people that got that living for Jesus brings certainty in life and death. Countless Christians had already died living for Jesus before the Elliots were born, and countless Christians have died living for, them, for him since. Because living for Jesus brings certainty in life and death, Christians can live without fear of anything, not even death itself. Many of us aren't living lives that put us at risk of death, but that doesn't mean we can't live lives of fearlessness, of certainty, knowing that nothing can truly shame us or hurt us, that nothing can truly ruin our lives. How often do we fear things or worry about something or get anxious that things aren't going to turn out the way they should? 
when we live our lives for Jesus, suddenly nothing can touch us. Nothing should worry us. Nothing is worthy of our fear because we know that we'll have victory, whether in life or in death. It doesn't matter to us whether or not we're comfortable. It doesn't matter if we're respected and admired by the rest of the world. It doesn't matter what, our, what suffering or hardship is waiting for us around the corner. Because we know that we're living for stuff which is eternal. No other way of life can free us in the same way living for Jesus can. Jesus alone offers us this certainty. He alone presents us as pure and blameless on judgment day. He alone can connect us eternally and intimately with the people around us. So is living for Jesus worth it? There's three reasons why it is. First, it gives us deep connections that last forever. Second, it presents us as pure and blameless on Judgment Day. And third, it gives us assurance in life and in death. Jesus is worth living for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross for us, so that we can be rescued, that we can have certainty in life and in death. Thank you that if we put our hope and our trust in you, we can be presented as pure and blameless on Judgment Day and live a life that's connected to other people, eternally and personally. So we just thank you for all that you are and all that you've done for us, and we pray that you might help us to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen.